Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm your host, Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we are continuing through the book of James. We've been um, going through my sermon notes, actually, from the book of James, a series I'm preaching here at the Cedar Shoals Baptist Church, um, a walk through James, Christian living in an unchristian world. And so uh, James is sort of proverbial in that he gives us all pieces of advice. And uh, I agree with R.C. Sproul. He's very much a New Testament book of Proverbs. Uh, he just, and it makes sense. James, a Jew, writing to Jewish believers, uh, a church in Jerusalem that's made up predominantly of Jewish converts. And so it's a very uh, thick Jewishness about the book of James. And so his advice, his commands, etc., etc., all have to deal with being a real Christian, genuine faith, what it looks like. Um, probably the most famous verse in the whole book, faith without works is dead. And so uh, along that, along those lines, in the beginning of chapter 2, in verses 1 through 13, uh, James reveals a truth that we see in the church, and that's this, that we should uh, be in the faith, in, in, in the body of Christ, without playing favorites among the brothers and sisters of the flock. And so, to kind of set the preface, I actually want to take your attention to the book of John, chapter 13, uh, verse 35, where Jesus said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Now, he was not speaking of loving all mankind, as some have suggested. He was talking to the disciples about their relationship with each other. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't love uh, the lost because God loves the lost and sent his son to die for them, um, of which we all were at one time. But that's not what Jesus is talking about, and that's not what James is talking about. He's talking about our relationship as believers with other believers, okay? And so you've got to understand that in context of this. So one of the tests of genuine uh, faith is how we as Christians treat each other. And with that in mind, what Jesus taught on more than one occasion, John 13, 35 is just one of many examples let me put it this way. We are to have faith without favorites. Favoritism and partiality can disrupt a church's unity because it creates division. Because you begin to treat one group better than the other group, vice versa, sideways, or whatever. And that creates a group mentality. Well, that's so-and-so's group. That's group A. This is group B. This is group C. And when you do that, you, you disrupt the unity of the church. And it goes deeper than that. It's, it's based on this. You're not to judge people for the outside, but for their actions and that are a result of what's on the inside. And I'll deal with that too. But we must treat every member uh, of the body of Christ with equality and dignity uh, that we show every other member. Now, I understand in a local church, you're going to get along with one person more than the other person because you may have more in common with one person versus another. But again, that's not what James is saying. What James is saying is when you mistreat somebody based on a variety of factors, 
um, that are unfounded and unbiblical. So the first thing we see in verse 1 of chapter 2 is just straight up, the command to show no favoritism. James begins with a command to not be partial towards others. He writes, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. That is the command. It's firm. It's unwavering. It's just straight up. James says, Don't show favorites among your brothers and sisters in the faith. But then he tells us why. And we know why is a favorite question of a child. I often tell my daughters, don't do this. And the first thing they say is why. Well, why is given to us uh, from the example of Jesus. Did Jesus love Peter more than he loved Paul or more than he loved John? Absolutely not. In fact, Romans 2.11 tells us that there's no partiality with God because God is no respecter of persons. Now, I realize the context of Romans 2 is different, but the principle is universal, and that's this. God loves all his children equally, and so therefore we should love our brothers and sisters equally. God does not change. He is immutable. He is the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. And so if we're to imitate Christ, who is God, and he doesn't play favorites, and that never changes, then neither should we. So James gives us the command to show no favoritism. Then he gives us an illustration of favoritism. Now, he uses this illustration to show the point. The whole You can't read this illustration and then think, well, we're just supposed to be nice to poor people. You've missed the entire point. James's point is you're supposed to treat everybody the same uh, as far as brothers and sisters. Poor, rich, red, yellow, black, white, fat, skinny, short, tall. It doesn't matter. And so don't take the illustration and make it the main thing. Um, that That's so dangerous. Um, I, I like Alistair Begg. He, I was listening to him preach a while back and he said you know he has to always remind himself not to make too much of the illustrations because the the most important thing is what does the text say uh what's the big idea let the main thing be the plain thing okay so anyways he gives an illustration in verses two through four he says for if again if this is hypothetical there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come also in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there, you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so he says, if somebody comes in, that is poor versus somebody that's rich, you shouldn't treat them different. They should both get equal treatment. You should not act as the judges in uh, secular society act. I mean, we see this in society all the time. The rich are granted certain privileges by the power their wealth brings them. They are treated differently in the legal system and in all manner of civic functions. I mean, it, you can't deny that. An old poor boy like me does a crime, they're going to throw me under the jail, okay? Uh, but, but, a, but a rich man can kill somebody in a bar fight and then get let out of jail to go play football. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, don't tell me that wealth doesn't come with privilege. When I was in the military, we used to say this, you know, higher rankings, you, you get away with a little bit or you get a little extra slack uh, in some ways. 
And so we'd say rank has its privileges. Well, in the in the civilian world, wealth has its privileges. Don't, don't I mean? Don't even try to argue that. We all know it's true. I mean, we we all know that it's true. Um, you you look at I forgot the famous actor that shot somebody and said it was an accident on set. I don't care if it's an accident or not. You let a plain Joe do that, and he's going to jail for life. Uh, but if a rich man does it, a famous man, well, you know, slap on the wrist. And so he used this illustration. He said, that is not the way Christians should behave. We ought to treat all fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, with dignity and respect, whether they are rich, whether they are poor, whether they are black, whether they are white, whether they are male, whether they are female. Um whether they're a member of our church or a member of another church of like faith, none of us are superior because all of us are sinners apart from Christ. We all deserve hell apart from Christ. So truly, in God's economy, all believers are equal regardless of status, wealth, social standing, race, etc., etc. And James is speaking to believers. He says, brethren. Notice he uses the word brethren. He puts himself on an equal footing with the people he's talked to. He said, we're all brethren, brethren, equal brethren. There's no room for favorites in James' mind, and so if uh, there shouldn't be in ours. No, it says, we do these things. We are as judges with evil thoughts. Now, that, when I first read that, I thought, that's odd, you know. But using a cross-reference in your Bible or any decent commentary will point you. Remember, James, like I always say on this podcast, Context, context, context. James is a Jew writing to Jew. Now, I realize he's a Christian Jew, Messianic, fulfilled Jew, whatever you want to call it. But ethnically, excuse me, got tongue-tied, he is very much a Jew. And so are the believers that he's writing to. So what is he talking about? Well, he's quoting or referencing the idea in the Old Testament from Leviticus 19.15, which reads, You shall do no injustice and judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. Okay? So you're not to give partiality to the poor or the rich. He's making a point that in righteousness, excuse me, the verse continues, in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. We're to judge righteously based on the inside character of somebody that's displayed by the way they live, not judge them because of the way they look. Now, you can just see this played out in our uh, society. Somebody walks in the church, dirty clothes, maybe they smell funny, and we automatically assume that they're a bum, they're a drunk, they're this, they're that. You don't know that. They may be a very godly person. I don't know. Maybe their washing machine's broke and they just lost their job. I mean, again, uh, we should never make assumptions. And even if our assumptions are founded in reality, it shouldn't change the way that we treat our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a new phenomenon if you go back to the 1800s and even in the 1600s and the high church denominations, people paid for pews, and the rich people got the good pews up front, and the poor people got the common pews in the back. Now, how stupid is that? 
but it went on for years and years. In fact, uh, it, it wasn't until the last, I believe what I read, the last 50 or so odd years that the last church in America was an Episcopal church. Somewhere up north disbanded the, the, the system where they paid for pews. That was very common in high church denominations uh, over the past uh, centuries. And so uh, that's just so backwards from what Jesus and James taught, isn't it? Uh, Jesus commanded to love one another and to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to love our fellow Christians and then to love our neighbors, whether they are Christians or not, as ourselves. Now, we know in modern times, uh, especially I've never seen it, uh, there's no pay-for-pew uh, policy. But at the same time, we still fall to judge people based on outward appearance and then we will treat them differently whether it's because their finances or not or a man with who walks into church and he's a different race or he has dirty clothes uh he'll be stared at or someone might get up and move seats this is discrimination and it has no place in the house of worship as jesus himself said my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people you see we should not judge each other based on appearance or status but on the content of character one's race job or ability should not be considered if they are a believer they are part of the family period and so not only does james now james is a very logical man and um, you have to take that into account when you study the book of James. Uh, not that Paul wasn't logical, but Paul would also always, often, excuse me, I am so tongue twisted today. Paul would often give a thought, and then you could take that thought from a pericope in the text and then draw three or four uh, sub thoughts that were all somehow tied into that uh, key thought. Okay, Paul didn't always do that, but more often than not, he did that. Now, I remember we had to read a book in seminary. It's a great book. I'm not knocking it. Wayne McDeal's 12 Essential Skills uh, for Excellent Preaching. And he suggested, you know, you have to do it this way. You have to take a text, and you have to take that text and have one big main idea. And then you have to have three, a minimum of three to four uh, big ideas that coincide with that ideas, and those become your division statements, a.k.a. your sermon points, and they have to be in complete sense. That's great, okay? If there's any preachers listening, you, you should strive uh, to, to teach in that way because it's very effective. But don't force that on the text. James doesn't do that. James, this whole section has one point. It's a one-point sermon. Uh, but he breaks it down. He, first he gives the command, then he gives an illustration. And then in verses 5 through 7, he belabors the point by showing how stupid it is to treat uh, the rich better than the poor. He shows that this is inconsistent. So now he's making a logical argument. Verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? James is showing the inconsistency in the church at Jerusalem because some of the rich were taking advantage of the poor 
while claiming to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I also think another possibility, uh, because we know the early church was persecuted and they often, often lost their jobs, houses, and property. And I think another thing that he may be hinting at, again, I can't prove it, and I'm not going to argue with somebody, but I think he's also hinting at, you know, we seek to please the, the poor, the, uh, the rich elites in society who are outside the church when they're the ones who are against the church. Um, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. So he says this this is inconsistent. Um, and, and moreover, God often uses the poor and the disadvantaged. A uh, perfect example comes from the book of Esther. Um, I'm preaching through the book of Esther verse by verse, uh, word by word on Wednesday nights as we look at it. Esther, uh, the visible plan of the invisible gods, a great sermon series. Um, not because I'm a fantastic expositor, but because the Bible's a fantastic book. But Esther's a good example. Uh, she was an orphan, okay? She was a minority. She was a Jew living in the Persian Empire under the reign of Ashurus. Ashurus, I hate that name, uh, or as the Greeks called him, Xerxes. And, uh, man, she was a minority. She was an orphan. She was female. I mean, she was at every disadvantage, uh, especially in that culture. And then God used her to turn the whole show around. I mean, isn't that great? Because God, I, I think that one of the reasons that God takes so much care to use uh the ones that society would deem unusable is because he gets more glory, okay? If he uses a rich man to do something that requires riches, then then it's almost as if the rich man can say, hey, I did this, look at my riches. Um, again, I'm not saying that God doesn't use rich people. He, he does. Uh, Lydia, the die maker in the book of Acts, she was loaded, and uh, God used her to help Paul. So I'm not saying that. But more often you'll see God use somebody that nobody else thinks can be used, poor, downtrodden, old country folk or something like that and God will use them in a mighty way and then people look at it and they say that had to be God and then in that way he gets more glory that's just an interesting side note but back to the text at hand uh, James says there should be no partiality and he said the, the partiality you're showing is ironic because it's the rich that often hurts you and God uses the poor uh, more often than not. So he shows the inconsistency. James is a very logical man. Okay, And so <clears throat> then we come down that uh, we see James is a practical book. Okay, it's very easy to apply. James is for the common man in that sense. He seeks to show how we are to be Christians in an unchristian world. The world plays favorites, but but we must not. Okay, so let's come down to verse 8 as we finish this thing out. Okay, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well, but if, I'm in verse 9 now, if you show partiality, favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. As transgressors. James said, you think you're living a holy, righteous life, but if you're treating people like garbage, who are your brothers and sisters in Christ because of one reason or another, you're sinning. Now, you may not steal, kill, or commit adultery, but if you're treating them like garbage, again, he's not talking how we treat lost people, Though that's important, it's not what James is talking about. He's talking about church, a local church. Look at verse 10. 
For whosoever shall keep the law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. <laughs> so they may, you can imagine the guy arguing with James. Well, what are you talking about? I, I'm here every time the doors are open. I, I do this and I do that and I do that. And James says, yeah, but, you know, you treat Bill over there that sits in the back. You treat him like garbage. Talk to him like he's a dog. Make fun of his clothes when he walks in the door. James says, that's a sin. And then he goes on to continue to illustrate his point. Look at verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. He said, look, the source of judgment is the same. The same God who said, don't do this sin, said, don't do that sin. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we're to be impartial because even the sin of partiality is still sin. Now I realize, okay, and, and, and I was tempted to do this too when I was preaching through this book, that, that you could take verses 10 through 13 and focus strictly on the idea that one sin makes one a sinner. And that's a whole sermon. And you would still technically be expository because you're you're treating the text for its plain meaning. But, and again, I'm being careful. I, I'm not, I don't want to offend anybody uh, uh, by accident. But if you look at it in the whole, I think it's clear that James is still carrying on the idea of personal favoritism. But again, this is common in Jewish teaching. The rabbis were renowned for doing this. It's called the string of pearls. They would give one idea, give another idea, then go back to the first idea and teach two or three different big ideas all in the same lesson. Now, that's very confusing uh, especially to us Western-minded individuals because we want big idea. That's why, personally, I enjoy reading Paul. Uh, I sh that's not the right way to say it. I, um, it's easier for me. Let's, let's make sure we put the blame on Brad Starnes and not the Bible. It's easier for me to read and understand the Pauline epistles than it is the Johannine epistles or any of the general epistles because Paul, more often than not, says here's the big idea. Here's two or three ways to look at it or two or three applications, but here's the big idea. And that's where the you know the big idea sermon with three subpoints. That's where that comes from. That's Pauline man to the T. So all that to say this, uh, I, I dealt with this as a whole. But we must finally consider the example of Christ. Okay, the big idea. Don't miss this. The big idea is Christians need to treat all other Christians equally. Okay, that's that's big idea. But we're not done yet. Okay. We're not done yet. We need to consider the example of Jesus Christ himself. Okay, because James is not asking us to do something that Jesus did not do himself. And that's very important for you to understand that. Did Jesus treat people different who were different? No, he did not. He didn't shun the poor. He said, these are the ones I came to call. He didn't throw rocks at the leper. He healed them. He praised the widow woman and condemned the, the, the loaded Pharisees and Sadducees. 
He didn't treat other races different. He went to the woman at the well who was ethnically biracial. Um, I think that's the proper term. She was not a full Jew or a full Gentile. And he went up to her and offered her salvation. So Jesus was not partial uh, among those whom he would call to salvation. So do we have any right to be partial? Well, unless you think you're better than Jesus. And I don't think anybody is silly enough to suggest that they are better than Jesus Christ. So did Christ refuse to preach the law or preach the gospel, rather, to lawbreakers. Absolutely not. He saved a tax collector. And if tax collectors ain't lawbreakers, I don't know who is. A little joke, but at the same time, we know that the tax collectors in Jesus' day were notorious for breaking the law and for, for stealing. So if Jesus does not play favorites with his children, then neither should we. We should be in the faith without favorites. God bless you, and I hope you will take this into consideration in the way that you react and act among the brothers and sisters that you serve with in your local church.